following audio is a Sunday sermon from Red Church in Blackburn, Australia. For more information about the church and its ministry, please go to www.redchurch.org.au. Good morning, everybody. Welcome this morning. I want to encourage your decision to come. Um, We meet every week and sometimes that can feel like routine and yet what we're doing is really simple but really central where we gather together today to be reminded of the decisions that God has made for us and to be reminded of what the rhythm of the life that he planned for us is. And so this morning, I want to look at the book of Proverbs, book of wisdom that uh, is smack bang in the middle of the Bible that is full of these reminders that seem so simple when you read them, but can easily be forgotten. So I want to center in the book of Proverbs. Before I get there, I just want to read a story. I have read this story before, so forgive me if you've... Oh, thank you. If you thank you so much. If you have heard it. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just helpful in setting up the scene for today. This is a story about clocks, and it's set in Switzerland. In a small town in Switzerland, there was a little clock shop where an old man made beautiful clocks that people came near and far to buy. The best clock of all was a big old pendulum clock that sat pride of place at the centre of the shop window. It had been made by the shopmaker's grandfather and so it it was not for sale. It was very special to him, and this clock was so beautiful, people would come far and wide just to look at this clock. Some would set their time to this clock, others would just simply marvel, but what was known was this was a beautiful clock. One summer, the clockmaster opened the shop a little earlier than usual, and each day he would arrive, unlock, and set up for the day. And after a couple of weeks, he noticed that the same well-dressed gentleman would stop every morning at the same time without fail, but just for a moment. And then he would simply move on. One day, curiosity got the better of him and he decided to talk to the man. Hello there, it's a beautiful clock, isn't it? Said the clockmaker, waving to the man to get his attention. They shook hands and the man said, yeah, it is, but I'm not here to just simply admire it. When he could see that the clockmaker didn't quite understand, he pulled out his pocket watch and said, I'm the supervisor at the wool factory down the road, and it is my job to blow the whistle at the start and end of each day. My pocket watch here is not too reliable, so every morning I come past here to check the time against this wonderful famous clock. Is that so? The clockmaker asked, looking surprised and a little bit sheepish. Well... I hate to say this, but this old clock, as impressive as it looks, also keeps terrible time, and I have to adjust it every day. So I make that adjustment just before I close the shop by waiting for the whistle to blow down at the factory (laughs) at five o'clock. I don't know whether this story is true or not, but what this story speaks about is a closed-loop system where something is getting its, its gauge and its um, re- sense of reality by something else, which is also getting its gauge and sense of reality by that, that very thing. Uh, so much of our culture and our world is a closed-looped system. It's the old Princess Diana question. Did the paparazzi kill Princess Diana? Or did we kill Princess Diana? 
this closed-loop system that speaks of influence that falls in on itself, therefore actually uh, missing its true north. And so what I want to look at today as we delve into the book of Proverbs is just to ask the question, what is shaping you? What is setting up your rhythm and your motion for how it is you live life? In a commentary on the book of Proverbs, uh, Ray Ortland Jr. says, Everyone is going somewhere. When we feel stuck, even when we feel trapped, the truth is we are still in motion. Life is a journey, and the end of it all is not just a place, but also a condition. We are becoming, emphasis his, we are becoming the end of our journey, wise or foolish, and every moment takes us closer there. And so who are you becoming And what is your reference point? Proverbs is in the genre of the book of wisdom, um, yet of wisdom, along with with Psalms. And it's considered really that it's ancient wisdom from like the breadth of human experience over a broad sense of time endorsed by God himself. Wisdom is often defined as God's reality. And so wisdom is actually how God sees the world. And God is no closed-loop system. He doesn't need to look at us to get his reflection of himself back, although we're created in his image. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. He doesn't change. How he expresses his character will change. But those characteristics of who he is do not change. And so wisdom is God's reality. And so as you're going through life at the moment and decisions that you're facing and challenges that you're facing and just engaging in the everyday, what is Gauging that reality for you and helping shape that for you. I want to look, laugh or not, we're going to look at the most famous verse in Proverbs. Anyone know what it is? It's on cups, it's on cards. You're bound to know it. If you're new to faith, memorize this one. Usually Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 is the most famous passage in the book of Proverbs. I want to look at Proverbs 3, 5 to 8. It's on page 439 if you're wanting to reference the Bibles in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, um, particularly if you're new to faith, really want to encourage you to have one. So please take this one as your own, as a gift from us. But we're looking at Proverbs 3, 5 to 8 on page 439. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil and this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Hands up if you've come across this set of passages before. It is famous, as I mentioned. And what I want to do is just to help us ensure that our our closed-loop system isn't closed-loop, but is this singular focus. I just want to unpack, in true sermon style, three points. And all of them are from these passages, because sometimes we can forget what we know. And what we know can lose its ability to shape how we see reality and and, uh, how we are approaching life. First one is quite straightforward, but not, is to trust 
God. And looking at this verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. I was very tempted to unpack and explore the nature of the heart, not just the one that's in your body, but the one in where your will and your emotions and your inclinations and your, your seat for life, as they often define it, is. I really wanted to unpack heart. But the more I looked at it, I went, actually, I don't know that we have a problem with that. I'm pretty sure we, we know what that is. Our hearts are big, our hearts are strong, sometimes they're crushed, sometimes they're high-spirited. We know that it's an emotional space, it's the love space. I wanted to look at the word trust. I'm not so sure we understand that one as much as we do the beat and the rhythm of our emotions, urges and inclinations. Trust is really difficult. I'm not sure who you trust at the moment or what you trust. To trust is to have a firm belief in the reliability of someone or something. Who do you trust the most? That trust doesn't come from nowhere. It's not something that's a given. Trust is something that has to be earned. And it's also something that's in short supply. It's also something that if it's been betrayed or disappointment has occurred, it creates really difficult fracture that's hard to overcome. One of the things when you look at the the narrative of our story and and the Bible is that at the core of what happened with Adam and Eve, right back in Genesis chapter 3, is that God said one thing, but at the end of the day they didn't trust. They mistrust God and it seems to be our natural default, not that we want that to be the case. But what Proverbs is saying here in the pursuit for wisdom and the pursuit for God's reality in your situation and in your life, the first central core thing is to trust. I don't think there's anyone in this room, you wouldn't be attending a church if there wasn't a part of your heart that wanted to embrace this trust of who God is. Uh, But it can be really hard to grasp. And so as we spoke about last week, it's easier to stay this side of the threshold than that side of the threshold. And unless you have had a proven experience of God's direct and intentional and personal activity in your life, it is hard to take that trust from the cognition and the brain knowledge to something that shapes your heart. But yet we want it, right? I know I do. I remember hearing a story when I was in Canada. Uh, Canada has winters not like ours. We don't have winters. They're always above zero. In Canada, they're like up to minus 60. So it's a whole other world. And what will often happen is that the ice will glaze over, the waters will glaze over, the rivers will glaze over, and people get stuck in their houses. But actually, my friend told me a story of her great-great-grandfather who was back in the days of different transport and different um, ways of living and needed to get from one place to the other. And the quickest way in this weather was to actually go across a lake. But to cross the lake, it was covered in ice. And so her grandfather, like, didn't know whether he could trust the ice. So he is gingerly on all fours just trying to, like, work out if he can actually get there or not, step by step, bit by bit. And after a little while... He could hear this clacking behind him and he turned around. There was a man on a wagon with horses and a whip and he just went straight past on that ice. He knew he could trust that ice. He was a local, been there before, done that. It was proven there was no guessing. But until you know 
it is really, really hard to walk your life and your faith in a confident manner. Until then, it's on all fours, gingerly, putting one foot in front of the other, trying. There is nothing wrong with that because you're still on the ice and you're still trying. But if, while you're on the ice, you happen to see someone go past confidently, look to them and watch. Glean from their lessons and be inspired. I am certain that there is an area in your life that God is asking you to get out onto the ice on. To not play it safe on the corners, the corners, the edge, but to actually get out on that ice. What is that for you? Tozer, famous theologian, says, pseudo-faith always arranges a way out to serve in case God fails. Real faith knows only one way and gladly allows itself to be stripped of any second way or makeshift substitutes. For true faith, it is either God or total collapse. And not since Adam stood up on the earth has God failed a single man or woman who trusted him. We sing a song, uh, you're never going to let me down, you're never going to let me down, you're never going to let me down. I have to admit, there are times I've sung those words and gone, um, but you have. <laughs> Faith and trust doesn't mean God's not going to disappoint you. What it means is at the end game when the credits roll and the story's over, There's a reality and a tone and a rhythm to your life that he's got that will not fail you. That he will use every situation and every disappointment and every set of circumstances for this greater good. And what he invites us into is this act of trust to believe that it's true and the story is not over. But how that story ends and the journey that we go on starts with this act of faith. And if we don't like the word trust, I want to rephrase it to say, oh, sorry, we've got a, this guy's on steroids. Okay. Trust God. I just want to rephrase that. That means don't depend on yourself. There are some people here who through life circumstances and just natural pathology as well have learned that really the only person who can trust is you. And the only question I want to ask is, how's that going for you? Because it's possible to get what you want and to have a comfortable life, but it's not possible to do that and have joy and meaning at the same time. That this is an invitation to joy and meaning as well. So this is our first part. And if you find that hard and you're not yet sure what it is to trust God in, the second, the second one in Proverbs 3 is to cry out. Cry out. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Acknowledge um, some versions. The the version we read said submit. It's a word we don't hear about much these days, but it means to actually trust in a greater power and being one that is reliable, not abusive. Other languages talk, uh, other translations talk about to listen and to think. And to acknowledge God, to submit God, to submit to God begins with our lips and it begins with our thoughts. What have you been talking about and what have you been thinking about is always a reflection of your heart. And your heart's posture is always a reflection of what clock you're tuning your life to. 
what beat you're responding to and how you're setting the, the direction, the reality of your life. There are situations, and I know as a church we're entering this collectively, but I know in some people's lives individually this is happening, and I'm sure there's stories I don't know of, that God is actually inviting you, not the little like 10-second prayers you hit the pillow, but what is known as a travail, where this is on the heart, the hands and the knees crying out, out for God because if he doesn't move something desperately needed won't happen this is the Tozer definition of faith the word trust in Arabic actually refers to throwing oneself down on one's face to lie down spread out in complete reliance Our Western faith is known for its comfort. There are countries out there where to follow Jesus means you've got to lie down on one's face and cry out for God to move, to do something. This is the sort of faith Hannah had in the book of Samuel where she was barren, her barrenness left her isolated and she was teased and maligned and left out persecuted because she couldn't have children. Her anguish was so great, she cries out to God in that posture. So much so that Eli the priest thinks that she's drunk. When was the last time you prayed like that? What if what God wants to do in your life is just waiting for that kind of type of faith? What if God can't do what he longs to do with us as a church unless we cry out like that? Not an assumed grace where God's going to work out his will anyway, but a crying out, prostrate before God to move, to intervene. David, who we looked at last week, he was known for this type of prayer. In Psalms 55, he says, Morning, noon, and night, I cry out in my distress, and the Lord hears my voice. He has this rhythm where it's not just when things are tough or it's not just when things are kind of in good measure, just kind of pray. He kind of just goes, nah, morning, noon and night, my life is so dependent. What God's got for me is so dependent that it requires this rhythm. And I'm going to set my rhythm to the tune of this timetable of the Lord and I'm going to cry out, prostrate, with urgency, with the entirety of my being, that God would save me from my enemies. Paraphrase that God would intervene in this situation that I just have no idea what to do and if God doesn't turn up, I am in trouble. To cry out in that if, if we do not cry out to God to move and put his name throughout the earth and bring justice and healing and peace and this world that is getting more and more chaotic back into order, Maybe it won't happen. But he's waiting on the crying out of his people to get there. Have you ever prayed like this before? I have when it's been 
times of incredible distress. So like the distress means that you've got nothing else but to be on your knees. I wonder what it would look like to put all that energy and and vigour into crying out because the status quo is just not cutting it anymore. And we desperately need and we desperately want more. And so what we have here so far in our little survey of Proverbs is this invitation to trust and this invitation to surrender. And our third one, to run from evil. One of those things that you know in your head but just creeps up on you in life without even knowing it's happening because what used to be considered taboo is now normalised and before we know it, that's actually what's shaping our hearts and our minds and our perspectives. But this passage in Proverbs, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. The word shun can be interchangeably used with the word run. It means to persistently avoid, to ignore and to reject thought that was good. So I looked up some synonyms. Synonyms are great. Synonyms. I love the word and I love what they do. The synonyms of to shun is to avoid, evade, eschew, stay clear of, shy away from, recoil, keep away, keep one's distance, give a wide berth, have nothing to do with, to leave alone, do not touch. Sometimes We need to separate ourselves from bad influences. Sometimes evil, which yes is like the scary evil, there's also the things that cause us harm or misery or destruction are all too much around us. If you keep reading the book of Proverbs... There are two greatest evils. Does anyone happen to know what they are? Don't worry, it's going to be one of those things where you don't know and then you hear it and you go, oh, yeah. The first one is the lust of the eyes. Proverbs is full of this. And it's like, run, run away from the seducer. Like, don't even entertain. Run, turn, persistently avoid. Steer, we- steer away from, wide berth. Do not go near her. But you know what the most prominent evil that is to be avoided the pride of the flesh. It's our pride that means we feel we can only trust ourselves. It's our pride that thinks that we know better. It is our pride that thinks that we actually can have God beholden to us. It is our pride that thinks we should be really doing that instead of that other person. It is our pride that is full of opinion. It is our pride that is full of critique. It's our pride that is actually at its root deep insecurity that actually sabotages the very things that God has got for you. Self-reliance, self-dependence. Proverbs 26.12 says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. There is something about this invitation, not to false humility, where it's like, but a a genuine acknowledgement that God is God and, and we're not. 
And that in being God, he's not bound or attached to chaos or evil. He's not bound to confusion. He's not bound to the status quo or to any particular era's understanding of what reality is. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that same God who is faithful and who is trustworthy the whole time there is existence on the earth, his eyes roam to and fro looking for people whose hearts are what? Truly his. That place of our reality where we really sit, it's not over there, it's not half here or half there. It's fully and completely surrendered whether it's like the man gingerly on all fours on the ice or the man with the wagon. (laughs) He's looking for people whose hearts are truly his and who dare believe that there is a wisdom greater than the status quo that is made up of a collective people who don't really know what reality is. Self-assurance cannot work when it comes to entering into what God has got for us. And that's why acts of trust, acts of submission, I love it that the NIV has actually changed their translation from to acknowledge to submit. Watchman Nee says that before we repent of our sin and before we ask Jesus to come into our lives, the number one central thing that is vital before we can even begin to encounter who God is and what he's got for us is to submit. To fully acknowledge that he's king, that he's on the throne, that he's the one who determines reality, that he's the one who puts things in place. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. It's the lust of the eyes and the pride of the flesh that will come against us, each of those we've all had experience with. But as 1 John 2 says... The world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. Trust God. Cry out to him. Turn away from evil, and the last part of that verse, this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. There is an uncanny amount of illnesses that they're realising are related to our thinking and to our speaking. We've looked at this before with the whole neuroplasticity thing. But what if... No, let's just declare it. This God actually knows the best way to live. And there are two ways to live according to Proverbs. There is to live by your own understanding, which might be right about that much, but it's limited. Or to live your life based on the understanding of God that isn't just looking at your life situation as this, but as Terry Wallin talked about, It's a sovereign perspective of the whole thing from beginning to finish. And that for your whole path to be led straight and for that journey that you're walking towards, and as Ray Oatland said, who you're becoming while you're on that journey is just as much important as the journey itself, actually is about this one. 
but it requires trust. It requires a faith that cries out, not just accepts it and goes, oh, well, this is just what's going to happen. God is in control, but he has given us what they call human agency, where we get to partner with him. We get to intervene. We get to shape what he chooses to do or doesn't do. He wants to work with you in a relationship. Crying out to him activates that. And none of those things will matter if we don't turn away from evil. The root of which is the pride of our hearts. I'm going to pray and then we get to go for communion. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how you do a 30-minute sermon. (laughs) It's a secret ambition of mine. I think it was 30 minutes. Jesus, we come before you, each one of us, on that journey of truly walking towards something. And we know that the world is on a journey where the kingdom of God is going to come the center point and it's going to invade the earth. And this side of that history, you are inviting us and giving us the privilege of walking with you on that and knowing that now. So I just want to pray over each and every person that is in this room. You know exactly what is going on. You know the fears, you know the concerns, you know the problems and you know the worries. You know the desires and you know the hopes and you know the dreams. Jesus, I just want to speak your reality over each one of those situations. And I want to ask and pray that you would divinely lift them above the circumstances to be held by you and to see things from your perspective. I pray for hope. I pray for clarity. I pray for courage to dare believe that what you're saying to their spirit is true. I pray you would silence the fear of the flesh. And I ask and pray that, mighty Father, you would raise us up to to cross that ice with confidence because you don't just want us on the lake. You've got a whole territory you want us to grab. So as we gather now this morning to centre around you, I ask and pray that you would remind our hearts in the deepest places the decisions you made for us and who you promised to be for us because of what you did. In your powerful and wonderful name. Amen. We're going to gather for communion, a vital and important rhythm. Where weekly we gather, there's tables to the left or the right. If you're visiting with us, we actually kneel as an act of submission to this God. There'll be people on the sides to pray for you. I want to encourage you, if you're specifically at a crossroads at the moment, you specifically need guidance or encouragement about something in your life to get that prayer from these people who would love to pray God's reality over you. And then we'll gather together and close in worship.